to mention this again. This is um, very quite important because we as a church, we don't do a, a lot of fundraisers. It's been a couple of years almost now since we had something. Um, Melanie is, uh, you all know Melanie. She could have been a lawyer. She chose to give herself up to this cause and, and to um, do this. So I think that it's important that we work. We, we have to get behind these things. It's actually a church sanctioned thing. It's not that it's my own idea and our Melanie's idea or anybody's. It's, it really is about us. So uh, please remember, um, participate where you can and how you can. And, uh, and if you're available and you're around, please come and join us. Come to participate. There'll be people coming that we don't know. So we want to support that. And I won't say anything else about that right now because I don't want the Lord to, to lead you and to um, you know, direct you on how you should go with that. So, all right. Well, thank you, um, Igor. Thank you so much. For, and the uh, worship team, uh, I love the songs. But I just wanted to ask the Lord to bless the word again as, as we are um, going to um, look into it. So please join me. Uh, Father God, thank you for your greatness and your power and your love. And we let, thank you for your word. We honor it, we hold it in high regard, high esteem, and we pray that we would um, be blessed by it, by uh, the understanding, and give us understanding to understand who we are and what we are and what you have planned for us. And we ask that in the name of Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, good morning. Nice to be here. I'm, it's, a, it's a great honor and privilege to always come and to talk to you and um, this morning I'm going to try to hurry a little bit I don't want to keep you too long because we have communion afterwards but the main thing that I want to start with right now is that God wants a relationship with you God wanted a relationship with human beings and before time began it actually the Bible teaches us that the relationship was something that was really close to God's heart so, what happened here? That's a little picture of a man there in the, in the dust. And Jehovah God, reread in Genesis 2, 7, proceeded to form the man out of the dust of the ground and to blow into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man came to be a living soul. So, really, that's the beginning of it all. And people wonder, why am I alive? Why, why, what's the point of existing? I've heard this many times over the years. And really, this is the whole point, the beginning of existence when God did this. And what happens now? We will praise you because we are a living soul, for we are fearfully and wonderfully made. What an amazing thing. And I'm glad Tibor said last week, Apostle Paul didn't talk a lot about the body. But the body is interesting. And I keep saying this to you because I want you to learn some things. 206 bones. 639 muscles and 900 ligaments and all joined together with 94 kilometers of nerves. This is quite important because I want you guys to know that. But there was a problem. How's God going to have a relationship with somebody that sinned? That was a problem. Adam sinned stuffed up the whole thing. But the Bible says that God demonstrated his own love 
his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He was in the world and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. And he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. So it's, it's amazing how God took, and only God can do this, 59 different elements from the dust and put them exactly in the right balance in order that we can have an existence. And we know, we know that those 59 elements that make us up are found in the crust of the earth. They're not found in the core. You can't find them underneath the dirt. They're only in the dirt. And in order for us to function, we have this, it's called the autotomic nervous system. Okay, now just bear with me on this a little bit because I want to get to a point here. Your heartbeat, your breathing, your digestion, your energy levels, and your fluid levels. Those are things that happen automatically without us thinking through them. That's part of God's provision in order to make a creation that he can have a relationship with. But he had to seal that relationship up with the Holy Spirit. And this is where I wanted to start looking into the word a little bit here. He sealed it up. Christ died. Christ rose again. And the Holy Spirit now is everything that controls the universe. And the Holy Spirit is Jesus, God, and the Spirit all in one. We believe that as a church. That's part of our doctrine and part of our statement of faith, the, the Trinity. And we believe that God has a will, a desire, and a purpose. And he has the power for us. The Holy Spirit. Now, I believe that the Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches us, is a bit like the autonomic nervous system. Because if we look at the scriptures, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, for example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us. Isn't that interesting? To Christian life, I could be going this way, and the Holy Spirit's going, Lord, please make him go this way. See, we don't know a lot of things. We don't know a lot of things about what to do, where to go, what's tomorrow going to be like. And this also confirms what I believe. Now to each one of us, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for our common good. Because we know as the Bible teaches us, we are body. To one there is given a spirit a message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another the interpretation of tongues. And all of these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. We can't tell our autonomic nervous system what to do. Can we? I can't tell myself to stop breathing. It's nearly impossible. 
I can't go to the Holy Spirit as a Christian and say, this is what I want you to do. It actually, the proper way is to say, Holy Spirit, intercede for me so I know what you want me to do. So we don't, we don't make plans and say, God, bless my plans. Say, God, please give us a plan so that it can be blessed and help us to follow through with that plan. So I believe that the Holy Spirit is like that. And one of the things that we learn about the Holy Spirit is that he came to give us life, and Jesus said. And I'm, I'm talking about Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, and God again as all one. Came to give life, and they might have it more abundantly. In other words, part of his personality, I suppose it would be a good way to describe it, is happiness, is joy, because we know the fruits. The fruit of the Spirit is righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit, complete happiness, extreme happiness, ecstasy, ecstasy of salvation, spiritual joy. Interesting, because... This is really what I just talked about was the ultimate picture. This is the picture of perfection in the perfect world. But we all know that we don't live in a perfect world. So I'd like to tell you something from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says here, to to wrap this little part up, the scripture tells us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. Another interpretation reads it like this. We follow this sequence in scripture. The first Adam received life. The last Adam is life-giving. Isn't that interesting that originally God created us, that we received life. But then, through sin, we died. And all of a sudden... Because of our belief and what Christ did for us by resurrecting and dying, all of a sudden, life comes back to us. We become a living person again. Now, what comes first is a natural body. Then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like earthly men, and heavenly people are like heavenly men. Just as we are now like earthly men, we will someday be like the heavenly man. And in Philippians 3.20, it says this, But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. Isn't that, that's kind of hard to get your mind around that, isn't it? citizens of heaven where the Lord lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into the glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control alright so that's my basis to start this and now I'm going to give you a little bit of a a little bit of a well That's an introduction to preach because I really believe this. Not everything always goes like it's planned to go. This is the man, Jonah. I'm going to read a bit. Like I'm not going to read the whole chapter, all the whole book of Jonah, but I want to just touch on some things here. Jonah 
was in a position where he made a big mistake. And it was costly, and I feel for him. And I believe that sometimes life brings things to us so that we become desperate and the dependence increases on the importance of the relationship that God intended to have with us in the very first place anyway. Things happen. So the Lord gave this message to Jonah, some son of Amitti. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how the wicked people, how wicked these people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction because he was trying to get away from the Lord. Number one mistake. Can you, what was the lie Jonah believed? If I go that way, God can't see me. Interesting. Nineveh's that way, Jonah's heading that way. So it says that Jonah went to Joppa. And God asked him to go up to Nineveh. And interesting enough that Jonah went and got a ship that was heading to Tarshish. 2,500 miles the other direction. Because Jonah believed that so I'll read it to you here. And he went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. Bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. This is a complicated thing. Can you ever get away from God? He thought so. This man, Jonah, knew God. It even talks about way back when Jeroboam numbered the second, the king. Way back in Second Kings, that Jonah was there preaching to him about talking about how he was going to, you know, overtake different countries and get some things back. So Jonah really knew God. Joppa is actually an interesting place because that's the same place where in Second Chronicles, where the cedar of Lebanon was coming for Solomon's temple. That's the port where they sent the, the cedars to. It's also the place where a lady named Dorcas lived. And you might know Dorcas from your Bible reading. But Dorcas was a very, very busy worker in, the, in God's kingdom. And she died. And that's where Peter actually went to Joppa and resurrected. Well, he asked everybody else to get out of the room. He prayed for Dorcas and Dorcas came back to life. Dorcas was a worker and I was talking to Anne-Marie. I said, you know what? I, and he said, well, you know what? God maybe resurrected her because in the Bible it teaches us that while, while um, they were in the room with her, Peter walked in and the widows were all in there showing Peter all the things that Dorcas made for them. And, and he said, well, I think maybe God thought that, well, well, nobody else is left to do the work, so I better bring her back to life. Let's not get in that situation. We need to continue to work in the kingdom of God. So anyway, back on to this story of Jonah. So here he is. He's on the way to Tarshish. And God says, not so fast. But the Lord, verse 4, hurled a powerful wind over the sea, 
causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for the lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. How hard can your heart become? Jonah actually hated those Syrian people in Libya and Nineveh. He grew up. They didn't, Jews never wanted anybody else except themselves to understand God, to receive God. They absolutely didn't want it. He could not stand them. And we learn that in, from his understanding as you read through this. So then the crew cast lots. Right? Well, what happened? The captain went down to him and said, How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. And when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as a culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded, Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? And what is your nationality? What did you do? And when Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, I worship the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the land, the same God that we worship. This is the same God. And, I love this part, and the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. And they said, and they groaned, oh no, why did you do that? Why did you do that? And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. So, but instead, these heathens from Nineveh, because we know everybody, and back in those days, we called them heathens because they didn't believe in the Lord God, Jehovah. Yeah, they tried. It says It says that they... They tried to roll harder for his life. They really tried. Jonah couldn't care less about him. He actually was downstairs sleeping with a hard heart ignoring their problem. And the very thing that Jonah should have been doing for them, they're doing for Jonah. They're trying to save his life. So they tried. They rode hard, but they realized that the storm was too strong too violent for them and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord God, Jonah's God. Oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors, look, this is not an accurate picture of the boat because these merchant ships that were sailing out of Tarshish were big enough to carry lumber. Big ships. This is it. But this wave and, and storm was so violent that these seasoned fishermen or whatever merchants, sailors, they were, they were terrified of this storm. And off he went. They actually were not rejoicing about this. Because we see what the scripture told us. They were, they were horrified that they had to do this thing to a man that was God's servant. 
and they're pleading to God. Now, then the sailors picked Jonah up, threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice, and they vowed to serve him. Isn't that amazing? That all these sailors from Nineveh are, are from, um, from Joppa, going to Tarshish, all of a sudden they all, they all became converted. They all became believers. Okay, so what happened? Jonah, he hits the water. Boom, there's a big fish there. It says there, God arranged for a big fish. Now, I've looked a little bit into it. It doesn't say that God made a special fish for him. It doesn't say that. It just says that there was a fish that God arranged or organized or put there, whatever. But I thought, you know, interesting. I believe it was probably a bit like this because we know that now you can only really go under the water for, you know, say a minute. So that fish had to get him like that. And the pressure, which is really quite amazing because they say like now you go three kilometers down in the ocean, it's like 50,000 are 50 jumbled jets being on top of you. The pressure is amazing. So I'm not sure exactly, but I thought, let's have a look here at, at the reality of what is in the ocean. Now, so I've got a few photos here of some real-life divers with big fish. Now, to me, I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking, that man could easily go in that, that, that whale or fish's mouth but the problem with this one, the reason why they can swim that close to it is that it only has a little throat. So a man can't get in there. There's a little perspective of the size here. Now this, this one here, this is a sperm whale. They have pulled out 400 whole kilogram, whole squids out of these type of whale's bellies. Could easily take a man in, easily. So that's one option. This one is another option. That's the blue whale. Now you can see that that, that, that diver there, he's in, if he was a little closer, he could easily go in there. And look at this one. I don't know what that is, but I think that... Can you imagine how fearful this... Jonah made a mistake. It's a costly mistake. I feel for him. I'm like, oh, you poor man. What a terrible situation you got yourself in. And look at this fish. I've never seen anything like it. But imagine, well, I remember being on the Great Barrier Reef once and there was a little fish this big. He came up to my mask and it scared the daylights out of me. I swam so fast to get out of the water and I was convinced 100% that he was going to nip at my feet or something by the time I got in the boat. So by the time I got on the boat, I actually literally jumped onto the boat, and I'm like, whoa, where's that fish? And Because he, he came up like this, and I'm like, wow, I'm in the wrong place. That's what I thought. I thought, I'm in his environment. So I can't imagine, Jonah knew he was certainly dead. The, the sailors tossed him over. God showed his great power. Jonah was dead. He didn't know God had a fish ready for him. He didn't know that. Look at that. Unbelievable. So there's some big monsters down there. But God, God has total control. And I just pray, Lord, please don't ever let us do anything where you have to manipulate the, the creation to get our attention. 
please don't have to hurl stars down at us to wake us up or find ourselves in a big problem where our hearts are so hard that God has to say, you know what I have to do? I have to change a lot of things to get your attention. Because He can. And the Lord organized that. And what happened? Now, I did a little research about what it's like to be inside of a whale's belly. This is a terrible, terrible thing. It's, I saw this picture, and it was a big rib cage, and there was a table there with a the candle, and Jonah was sitting there having a little dinner. Absolutely, totally, 100% the opposite way. What it is, is actually a whale's belly. Is Imagine a big canvas tent. And you know how heavy canvas is, right? You can't hardly pick it up. It's big. You have to hoist it with a crane if you want to lift it up. And if there's no food or fish inside the belly, it falls on you. Like a big canvas tent. And it's absolutely pitch black. And can you imagine when the fish come in, when, a, when the whale eats, the fish pour into the stomach, the stomach expands again, and as, as everything dissolves and, and is digested, the, again, the, the belly falls down on top of you. I'm thinking that Jonah might have had maybe just a little bit of an air pocket. <laughs> okay, this is, this is death. But what did he do? He said, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you. And the word tells us that the Lord ordered the fish to vomit Jonah onto an island. (laughs) And I, I can imagine that would have been like, can you imagine what would have went through his mind? In, in Christian history, like from 1898, there's a story of a man named James Bartley. And they say that he's a sailor that was actually um, out whaling with another rowboat. But the, t- the, the tail of the whale came and hit his boat. One of the sailors that were in the boat with him died, which was floating on the water there. And he disappeared. And they, the, to wrap it up, the, the story says that James Bartley, they, they actually, the sailors caught the whale came and what they do they harvest the fat because it's very valuable and when they hoisted the stomach to the deck of the ship they saw something inside that gave some spasmodic signs of life and here when they opened it up here it was James Bartley in the whale's tummy now whether or not this was verified or not it's still debatable so but it is in a lot of Christian books and and I've read the actual manuscript where the, the captain wrote it which to me sounded right says that James Bartley was insane for two weeks after being in the whale's belly for a couple hours. Now, I'm, not, I'm trying to get to say this because I want us to get the point that, that this is a horrible experience. And, wh- and what did Jonah do to deserve it? He thought he could get away from God. Ah, well, it's a lie, yeah? God can't see me? I'll go on a ship. So anyway, who knows? The Bible doesn't tell us how long he was on the island. It doesn't say. But if we go with what, James, what happened to James Bartley, he could have been on that island for a while. Not even sure where the island is. Not sure how he lived, how he, anything like that. God has supernatural ways of providing things for people to, if, they, if he wants you to live, you'll live. 
We know that, you know, Elijah, we learned that he was 40 days on the traveling. God sustained him. So somehow Jonah was on this, but I believe that thou, probably that whale did one of those for Jonah. Said, see you later. I hope you enjoyed your stay. Catch you later. And off he went. And he didn't have any idea what he was doing. God, God manipulated him for his purposes. God can manipulate anything that he wants to to get his purpose. But, now, we got the story. This is my point. Your heart, if it's hard, and I'm, I'm first in line on that one. We serve a God of second chances and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah a second time. Get to Nineveh. Nineveh was a major city. It says the Bible teaches us that 120,000 people in there, plus the animals, livestock, took three whole days to walk around it. They figure it was maybe 30 square miles. It was a big place, 30 to 60 square miles. Not the main gates. This is, the main, this is actually the literal main gate excavated of the city of Nineveh. From the main gate. But this, this little business here, see all that? That's the bullets from ISIS. And that's what's the concern. But you can see here, here's the Museum of Mosul. And, uh, and basically it's in Mosul, I should say, but it's, it's the Museum of Nineveh. So this city, if you look at this type of stuff, you can see that this city was fairly up to date. <laughs> it was thriving. It was happening. It was the major place where everything was happening in the world. Okay, so Nineveh wasn't just a little town somewhere. But this is the problem. I'm not going to read it. But Jonah went there and finally got there somehow. And he says, 40 days, God said Nineveh would be destroyed. They totally repented. And God says to Jonah, are you all right? Jonah says, no. I told you that you were going to do that. I can't stand that you forgive people. I can't stand these people anyway. My heart's so hard, I don't want to be nice. How many times have I said that? I'm like, oh, do I have to be nice? Oh, it's hard. It's hard. I want, I want them to pay for what they did. I want, I want revenge. I want, I want to make sure that they hurt as much as they hurt us. Because these Ninevites, they were known for their atrocities to the, to the Jews. The, the Bible clearly says, and we're not going to worry about that. But <laughs> Jonah... After being in the whale, vomited up, back to life again, he finally wakes up and goes, okay, I'm going. He goes there. And he's upset that God's going to spare their life. Isn't that weird? It's like, can't, you would think that if God spares your life, you would be grateful for anybody else's life that's spared. His heart was so hard that he couldn't get over it. So God made this, he went out, and it actually the Bible says that he went out to the east side of the city, and he sat there, in, and he watched to see what was going to happen to the city. He sat there for three days. And, and then again, God said, I got to manipulate the elements again, Jonah. 
and God made this huge windstorm come, and it was annoying to no end. And God said, or Jonah said, I'd rather be dead. This would be better to be dead than to live in this storm. And so God made this plan. The plant comes up, covers Jonah for a day, but then God made a worm that ate the stem of the plant. The plant died, and now Jonah's upset about that. <laughs> it's like, Jonah, why are you upset about a plant? And I shouldn't be upset about destroying 120,000 people, not including the women and children and the livestock. You know, how's this working out? Well, the Lord's compassion withheld judgment on Nineveh due to the people's repentance because we know that Nineveh did repent. The king, the king made everybody and everything that had life repent. He even made them put sackcloth on their animals. This is, that, I don't know who that king was, but boy, was he a smart man. He woke up right away. And meanwhile, Jonah sat there, angry to the point of death because Jonah says, are you angry? Or God says to Jonah, are you angry? God says, and Jonah says, yeah. Matter of fact, I'd rather be dead than watching these people be forgiven. That is such a hard heart. And God's like, well, gee, I, I put you in the whale's belly. I, can, I made the thing vomit you up. Gave you enough air down there to live. And yet, you've still got a hard heart question is, how is your people love? That's the big question for us today. Relationships, how is it? Are we sensitive? Are we reaching out to people? Are we loving them? Are we, are, or are we hardening the heart? Because I'm not immune to this myself. And I must say that sometimes when people hurt me, I have a real hard time getting over it. Really hard. I'm like, oh, I just don't want to let go of that anger. I can't stand what you did to me. You know, and you get all this, and then, and then I hear God saying, you need to let it go. Let it go. Remember? I made you. I took the 59 things, made you. you got to let it go. I'm in control. How's your people love? Peter came up to the Lord and asked, how many times should I forgive someone who does something wrong to me? Is seven times enough? I thought Peter was probably thinking, yeah, I'm pretty smart, aren't I? <laughs> I'll go seven. Surely the Lord's going to go, wow, Peter, you are a genius. Nah. Uh, it's infinite. Not Jesus' answer, not just seven times. Seventy-seven times. I probably am getting around 77 right now myself. And not for one person, but how am I? This is really quite critical and important because it will eat you alive. Unforgiveness will eat you we cannot, as Christians, have unforgiveness and, and be happy and free. 77 times. So, recap the whole service. God formed you from the dust. 
took the 59 elements, blew into your nostrils the breath of life. Bible sees one third, Psalm 139.19. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Isn't that interesting? You, don't ever tell me that you're here by chance. That's just never going to wash with me ever. And it doesn't wash with the scripture. Right there, God has a purpose for you. God thought through you. God knows you. God breathed into you the breath of life. God gave you the Holy Spirit. God wants to give you joy. The only thing that's going to stop that is the hard heart. <laughs> we got to fight that, the hard heart, every moment. Because we have the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit, the love, the love of Jesus. God gives second chances. Okay, so if it's with people, you got the point, right? Got to forgive them. We got to move on. We got to learn to deal with our problems. But the next part of it is worse because I can't forgive myself. Now, if you have a problem with yourself, you need to start believing some of these things. Behold, I make all things new. This is for you. This is not for your relationship. This is for you personally. Behold, I make all things new. Jeremiah 29, 11, God has big plans for you to give you a future and hope. I love this one. Life always offers you a second chance called tomorrow. Many times I, I, went, I go to bed and go, wow, what a day. I wake up in the morning and go, oh, thank you, Lord, for today. I get a new chance. I can start again. I don't have to go back to where I was. It's a new day. It's a new day. You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. What does Apostle Paul say? This one thing I do, forgetting what's behind me, I push on. I look forward. I go forward to the things that God has in mind and in store for us. If we go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, like Jonah, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea... Even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. I wonder if Jonah would have had this scripture might have changed his mind. Because he was totally convinced that he could run away from God and get out of his sight. Psalm 139.3 I am never out of your sight. That's a, that's a powerful, powerful thing. Because that enemy, he wants to tell you, you're by yourself. Useless. You got nothing. That's not what the Bible says. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified of them, which could be, in our case, 
our only enemy might be the Satan himself. Don't be terrified. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. <laughs> Impossible. God can't do it. So welcome to today, another day, another chance. Feel free to make a change. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. It's a new day. Help us to just put the bad, the past behind us. Thank you. Thank you for a second chance. We trust you. We believe in you. We know that you're all powerful. We adore you. We confess that we made mistakes. We ask you to transform us. We trust in you. And we serve you, Lord. We ask for your blessing on this church, on each individual. Strengthen us and help us to remember that we're never out of your sight and that you will never leave us or forsake us. Help us to forgive our enemies. Help us, Lord. We need your supernatural power soften our hearts. We claim the word where you said you will take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. You're such a good father. We praise you and give you all the honor and we glorify your name through Jesus and through your Holy Spirit. Amen.